Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Pretend Worlds Real People. As always, I'm your host, Tyler, and full disclosure, I am recording this uh, still in my gym attire. It is blazing hot in my house. We went from super icy weather to really nice, you know, 70 degree Colorado weather, but when you're trying to go through that transition, it just it hits you a little too hard. So if I sound out of breath, that is why I'm just trying to hydrate and getting this intro done the best I can because I have a fantastic guest for you today. Uh, she is a writer, she's a producer, she is a director, filmmaker, and the co-founder of Colorado's By and Large Media Labs. I, of course, am talking about Miss Cheryl Glubach. Her story is just, I, I don't even know where to start. I, I reached out to her because I had a chance to audition for her last year and thought, you know what, it would be great to get to know her on this podcast, but I wanted to wait a good long while after I auditioned to make sure it wasn't one of those like, hey, let's uh, let's talk, but also, <clears throat> you going to cast me in that thing? Or like, you know, yeah, I just, I wanted to get to know her story in due time, and would you have it, this was just the right time. She has had a, just an adventurous career traveling to different places and working on different sets, she talks a whole lot about her upbringing, getting into film, working on Sling Blade, of all films, as one of her you know, first big productions. And of course, we touch upon her upcoming film, Welcome to the Fishbowl, which is currently in pre-production. And uh, hopefully, we'll nail down some financing here in the next few months, and we will have a really just amazing film shot right here in Colorado. So, without further ado, I'm just going to shut my trap. Let's get right into this episode. Please help me in welcoming... Miss Cheryl Glubach. So my name is Cheryl Glubach. I am a writer, director, producer, and co-founder of a Denver-based production company called By and Large Media Labs. And there's a lot we're going to talk about in this episode, so I have to pace myself. But <laughs> I wanted to see... Because I've only really met you a handful of times, but I followed you on social media and just been like really tuning into you as an artist. And I wanted to see one, which came first for you in the performing arts, entertainment, cinema world. And two, when did that happen? When did you say, this is what I want to do this? This is insane. Yeah, it is insane. And it's a great <laughs> question. Um, so I started with writing. I was always a writer. I loved writing, did a lot of creative writing growing up. Um, I had an aunt who I was very, very fond of, who was a writer based out of New York, and she traveled all over the world. And I thought, oh, if one could do that, that sounds amazing. Um, so, but it wasn't, I didn't think I was going to do it like for anything other than fun until I was about halfway through college. Um, I was studying international relations, something completely not creative. <laughs> I can tell you more about that, um, but because it's actually coming back into my life in a project, in a writing project. But all that's to say is I was studying and I sort of realized, I don't think I want to do this for work. And what else in my life? Because I, I do feel like I want my work, my life work to make a difference if possible to the world. Like I'd love to leave it saying, hey, it's a little better because I was in it. And um, that did not seem like that was going to happen in, you know, 
international relations. So I ended up um, thinking back on my life at the wise age of 20, <laughs> going, what else has been a really important or impactful, you know, thing in my life that I've loved? And it's movies. So I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, even though I was born in Colorado, Tyler, but I was not raised here. We left when I was eight months old. And so I'm a native, but I, um, yeah, I, I didn't get to grow up here. I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas instead. And I loved movies. I watched movies constantly with my family. My dad and I in particular would laugh and watch everything. And I came of age when Blockbuster was a thing. So VHS tapes and going to see what things you might want to see, what the store clerks would recommend because they knew you liked this. Um, and then also HBO. So HBO was a brand new thing. So suddenly I could see anything and everything. So I don't know, when I was thinking back, I thought, you know what, movies, why not? And when you're 20, you don't think that's impossible. You think, of course I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that's when I decided that I wanted to write and direct for film. Oh, I, okay, this is the hardest question I'll ever ask anybody. What was your favorite movie during that time? You know, there, well, there's always one. <laughs> yes, there's always there's several actually, because I did watch a lot of movies, and so that once I had that in mind, here's what was playing in the movie theaters, the art house theaters near my campus when I started thinking, oh, this is what I want to do. I don't know. Have you heard of Krzysztof Kieślowski? He's a Polish filmmaker. It's, who, I, he sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I came of age like I was in college. Uh, 89 to 93. So the wall came down in the fall of 89. And suddenly, you know, again, I was studying political science, international affairs, that kind of stuff. So that was very much in my mind. So anyway, Krzysztof Kieślowski is an amazing Polish filmmaker who got to work outside of Poland after the wall came down. And so he did a series called Blue, Red and White or Blue, White, Red based on the French flag. It's amazing. And then there was this other film called The Double Life of Veronique which is kind of like a sliding doors idea that there's, uh, but it was two different people who one was in the West and one was in the East. Anyway, it's this beautiful film. Irene Jacob is the lead actress and it's just stunning. So that was a film that made a big impression on me. Uh, the Hearts of Darkness, I think is what it was called. The documentary about the making of Apocalypse Now, which was incredible. and kind of gave you a sense of like, here's what movie making is like. <laughs> yeah, this is hell. <laughs> Okay. Um, and I, I'm trying to think what else came, like, I mean, I just saw, I was watching so much at that time because I was suddenly like, yeah, this is, I need to get serious about this now. Um, so, you know, that's an example of a couple films that I remember seeing and loving. Um, and then I did a lot of Eastern European uh, cinema studies because I ended up studying film in Prague. That's where I went for my one year of basically film school. Oh, and with all of that accrued knowledge, you go to Prague and you study. Did you find that you brought some sort of Western perspectives that you didn't realize until somebody mentioned it while you were in school? Well, that's a great question. I think, um, yeah, I had no experience. I, I'd only been out of the country once in my life. And then at the age, you know, 21, I was yeah. going to get to study abroad. And uh, it was such a fascinating time. It was 1992. So they were you know, Prague was still, you know, very much in the new stages of like recognizing what it's like to live with more freedom and democracy and that kind of thing. So uh, it was a really amazing time, actually. Um, 
to both learn their film history because you know they have a very old film school and it's amazing it's called FAMU and you know Milos Forman came out of there and Yerji Menzel and all these amazing filmmakers um but yeah I definitely had it I mean I'm a young woman from you know America so uh <laughs> I definitely brought my own you know experience and, ex- and perspective uh but I kind of meshed it so you can see my first film that I made there uh it's called Alexia and it's on my website um and it was a silent film because we couldn't use words we had to only use images because that's what this medium is yeah <laughs> it's visual and so it was <laughs> anyway it was super fun and i was hooked after that i was like this is absolutely what i wanted to be doing i'm incredibly jealous that you were able to one study abroad for film but in a place like prague where it is you know a place where everyone comes to you know it's not the centralized location and there is something very daunting. I've only made very small projects on you know, a DSLR or at least most recently an iPhone. But making your first film, even when it's silent, must have been insane. What was going through your head during? I mean, can you recall that process and maybe just the stress level you may have been under? That you didn't expect. I was so free making that film. I had no expectations about what it was like. I was like, I don't even know. I mean, because part of me was like, I think I'm crazy for wanting to do this. Like I'm doing a 180, right? Going into something that would have been a steady career, even if I didn't like it, you know, to instead trying to do something that's the hardest thing I think anyone can do almost is, you know, uh, yeah, make films. (laughs) Um, So honestly, at that point though, I was free. I had no previous expectations. I'd never made a film in my life. I'd just seen a bunch. Um, You know, the whole crew were other students that were there with me and they were from all over the country and actually even the world. So we just got together, shot on 16 millimeter, um, got to edit on a steam back. You know, I was just in heaven actually. And I was like, oh my God, this is what I want to be doing with my life. I've never done anything. And this happens every time I get on set. I've never done anything that really uses my right and left brain so holistically. Um, And I think that is what I realized about myself. I'm both, I'm both left brain can be very organized and I'm also right brain, very creative. And to me, film is just an amazing, you know, amalgamation of those two parts of myself and it feels really good. So I loved it. It's like that weird prioritization via puzzle piece, right? Where you're just, okay, I got this, this, and it just, it creates this this amazing frame. I'm curious why you didn't stay in, I mean, maybe you stayed in Europe for a little bit longer, but. I did. Were you thinking about. I stayed as long as I could. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I stayed as long as I could. And then I realized most of the people in Prague and in the Czech Republic were like, why are you here? I would be in America in a heartbeat if I could. Like, because there was that pent up desire, right, to suddenly travel and be a ray. And I thought, you know, the, they were fighting over resources to to live and grow and do what I, I felt like it wasn't my place to be there anymore, if that makes sense. You feel like a, an interloper in a way? Yeah, I was like, yeah. okay, I love that I've been here. It's been amazing, but I'm not a Czech filmmaker, right? I'm an American and I should go back to my country and make films where I'm from. That's what it felt like. Yeah, it, I, I completely agree. I'd, I'd feel the same way after. Because how long were you there 
you know, trying their to total of about a year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, God, you adopt this, this whole new culture and you, you know, you mesh with other artists, you come back to the States. I mean, did you come back to, I mean, did you go back home? Did you go come directly to Colorado, California? I went to New York because yeah. I thought that would be the place that would be most sympathetic to my, cause you know, yeah, I kind of have a, a European sensibility, even though, you know, it, you know what? I love character driven indie films. So I don't know. Here's another couple films, actually. So Jim Jarmusch movies, you know, Stranger Than Paradise, or Down by Law, Stranger Than Paradise, Mystery Train. He was making really cool films in the early 90s that I loved. Um, he was based out of New York. Um, you know, there, there were that's what I liked. I liked the sort of indie style films um, that were made by, yeah. Most most of them were not in LA, actually. So I thought, yeah, New York. Um, so I went to New York and I, you know, got on some projects and worked as an assistant director and then this and that. And then I love New York, but it's very hard to live there. I don't have to tell you. Um, like, you know, I was making four hundred dollars a week, which I was thrilled. Like, I never had to work for free, which I thought was amazing because a lot of people do, right? Oh wow! Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so I got at least paid for every gig I did, but it was still not enough. <laughs> no. And you look at some of it, I mean, but it's never been a cheap place to live. So people will look back and say, oh, it was only $900 a month for a studio. Yeah, but that was in the early 90s. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's still very unbalanced. And I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm happy that you were paid for the jobs. But yeah, 400 a week for that. You could be living in probably a basement apartment with 20 people, I would assume. Yeah, it was not sustainable <laughs> in that way. And so I did I did go home. I went back to Arkansas for a bit um, as well and tried to figure out what was next. And my parents were like, are you going to get a job? <laughs> you might want to get a job and think about this. And I was like, well, and then a, a project came through Arkansas that I was like, oh my God, I have to work on. And you may have seen that in my background, but I was able to work on Sling Blade, um, which was incredible. And so, um, yeah, I was assistant locations manager. Um, and what was cool about that project is that it was filmed in where my mother and my grandparents were from. It's a place called Benton, Arkansas, which is only about 25 minutes out of Little Rock. And so I knew it like the back of my hand and was able to be a great locations person for the film. And I had the best time. It was such a fun film to work on. And Billy Bob was just a really like he was this was the first film feature film he had directed. And he was just I don't know. He just was. It was amazing. Stars aligned, I'll say. Of all places, too. Who would have thought a film like that would have come to your like so close to your hometown? I mean, it was a little bit like, no, you should keep doing this. Um, yeah, because, you know, he's from Arkansas. So that's yes. where he grew up. Yeah. So, I mean, I assume you were on that project for the majority of it, I would think, right? Or were you on Yeah, yeah. I came thing? on pretty quick and was there throughout the, the shooting. And yeah, yeah, it was it was great. Um, wow. Loved, and I thought, oh, if all films are like this, I maybe could work crew for... Because this was the thing. My parents were not going to pay for film school. And, um, you know, and I really do feel that you don't have to go to film school to be a filmmaker. Um, there's obviously advantages to it in terms of people you meet and just having more access to the industry. 
but I was determined to just make my own film school out of life. And so that's why I worked on a lot of different crews and different positions. And so just to continue on after being on Sling Blade, I was like, okay, fine. I'm moving to LA. I'll go to the belly of the beast. (laughs) (laughs) And I was really glad I did because I'd met a bunch of people from Sling Blade who were based out of LA. So I knew people and I had a blast. I was there in the the mid nineties and I worked hard. I learned a lot. And that's when I started writing in earnest. That's when I wrote my first feature script. Ooh. Okay. This is, this is where I really geek out when it comes to writing. How long, if you can recall, did it take for you to finish that first draft of your first feature script? As a matter of fact, I can tell you exactly because I followed a book (laughs) called how to write a script in 30 days. Oh, really? (laughs) And I'm sure it still exists. I feel like the author's name is Vicki King. And it literally was like, I got it off the shelf. It says, here, this is what you do to write a script. And you do it in 30 days. And I did it. I followed her instructions. And I got a first draft of my of my first script in 30 days. I typed it on a word processor, which basically looked like a typewriter that had just a little tiny screen that allowed you to like go back and forth a little bit. I don't know. But it was not good, but I did my first one. <laughs> See, that's all that matters. You you met the goal. You know you can't read that over for at least a year, uh, <laughs> just for your own ego, right? Uh, that wow, that's in. Do you? Uh, maybe you have. Have you produced that script? Yeah. No, no, it does not ever need to be produced. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Well. You you finish that script and you get a you get a, a bit of the writing bug there. By that point, are you thinking, okay, maybe I'll just start writing more and maybe pitching, or what was your what was your route from there? Well, exactly. So that was pretty. I was probably in LA only six, eight, nine months by the time I did that. So I was like, okay, I like this. So, but I need to work. So you know, I would get jobs. I, I decided. Actually, yeah. So I decided that I was going to be focusing on writing. So I needed to stop always being, because when you're on cruise, film cruise, you always have to be looking for your next gig. And you have no time to write when you're working those crazy hours for those crazy weeks. And then, I don't know, do you really have time to write? Or are you still thinking about what's that next job that I'm going to get? So I just felt like if I was ever going to really be a consistent writer, um, and get above the line instead of stay below the line, which is a term you probably know, right? Um, In terms of budgeting, I thought I need to focus on the writing. The writing is going to get me where I want to go, not being in the art department or locations or ADing, even though, again, valuable experience. And I saw a lot. Um, But that being said, yeah, I saw a lot about how I would want to do my own sets and how I wouldn't want to do my own sets. Equally valuable. Um, so, so yeah, so then I got a job. I mean, I did so many jobs like one does. Um, but the best job I had was working for an entertainment attorney, answering her phones. Ooh. And basically she was like, you do whatever you want. Just make sure you answer the phone and type up some documents when I need them. And I'm like sold. So I basically wrote my second script sitting at a desk answering phone calls. Um, in Beverly Hills for an entertainment attorney. That sounds like the best job for that scenario. (laughs) It was perfect. (laughs) So then, yeah, so that's when I wrote my second script and that one was better. 
And I thought, okay, yeah, this is, this is solid. Like I, I did it. And I also realized at that time, another thing about me is that I really do like writing. I like figuring out a story with somebody else, like having a a story by or co-writer depending. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that talking out is a really beneficial thing because two heads are better than one and screenwriting you're, the final form is not the script. The final form is the film. So if you can find someone that you're really compatible with, and it is your style, it happens to be mine, then find, you know, so that second script, I actually worked with a, a friend of mine on the story. And then I wrote it based on our outline. And yeah, so that was cool. So then I was like, okay, I can do this. And then a producer read my script, really liked that second one. No one ever has to read the first one. <laughs> it's locked away. <laughs> I, I actually think I still have it somewhere and I really don't want to read it ever, <laughs> but that's okay. It was beautiful and it's, it's presentation um, or it's emergence. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So the producer read the second one and said, I think you have a lot of potential as a writer and how about looking at this article that I'd like to adapt into a, a film. And so next thing you know, I'm writing the script um, on spec, because that was the 90s when everything was written on spec, and that's how you would sell a project and get it yeah. set up, uh, which is not the way it is now. Um, but yeah, so we, we I worked on that. I want to say it was a good nine months almost, because he was very exacting. He had sold and set up a bunch of other projects. And so I was like, well, this is my chance to really learn what it's like to to do this for hire or for real, so to speak. And I learned what I liked and what I didn't like about that. What did you not like about that process? I'm intrigued. Well, I think at the end of the day, as I introduce myself, like I'm a writer, I'm a director, I'm a producer. Like I can, I I know what I want to see in a film, in a story. And not that I can't work with someone else who has a different vision. I don't think I'm a gun for hire. That's the way I would put it. Ah, okay. I'm more self-directed as opposed to, oh yeah, I could write that. And I could write that. And that's what I learned being in LA. So I was in LA three years, wrote three scripts during my three years and realized that by the end, like, yeah, this is not how I'm going to make my career being a screenwriter who writes a bunch for other people that never get films made maybe, or have no control over getting the film made. um, It just wasn't going to be for me. I would not be satisfied by that. So I was like, no, no, I have to be the one who not in charge, but like part of the driving force of getting the film made. I, I knew that. Yeah, you, it's uh, it's funny thinking about that because most folks go out there for, you know, that reason, writing or directing, and they just get suckered into that gun for hire mentality. That's their career and nothing really, you know, ascends for them. I mean, they, they have a great career, but personally, as far as like creative fulfillment, it's always going to be that same process. So it was uh, upon that decision of, I, I can't do this. I have to get out of LA. Did you come to Colorado then and decide like that? That's a place I want to build, you know, a, a film uh, business, uh, you know, really tap into the industry or what, what was your, your mentality first? I love talking to you about this because you have such a like, pinpointed story i'm like okay what what happens next what do we do from here so yeah, yeah i've told go? the story to myself a number of times right <laughs> like we all have our own narrative in our head of yeah. our lives um yeah no i and i can pinpoint it because i was very conscious i've always been very conscious and conscientious about you know what am i doing with my 
talents with my life. I, you know, I am conscious about that. And so, um, so this would have been, yeah, 1998. Um, so this third script that I wrote for this other producer, you know, it came close to selling, but it didn't. And I had done it all on spec, which meant I didn't get paid. And also, yeah, kind of getting in the rooms of the studio execs and the agencies and different things. So I got in the the game a bit. I was at the starting point, which again, I am grateful for that experience. Um, I wasn't ready for it. I'll tell you that too. I needed a writing craft because I had the will and the drive, but I didn't have the craft yet. Um, So I knew that too. Uh, So not only would I not have been satisfied becoming this kind of person who's hired to write for other people? I also really couldn't have yet at that time because I didn't know what I was doing. And there is a skill that is involved. So at that time, I had been dating my boyfriend, now husband, long distance. He was up at uh, in Berkeley and I was in LA. And, and finally, I think I decided, I was 28, that... Okay, this isn't happening in the way I want to here in LA. So let's let's go up to the Bay Area where there were a lot of exciting things happening. The internet was taking off. You know, I knew there was one than more more than one way to get into the film world that I wanted to do. And I just, even though I'm not a quitter, <laughs> I and I, you know, part of you could say, oh, you're leaving and quitting. It's like, no, no. If I'm gonna do this, I'd rather make one great film in my life then, you know, not, or make a bunch of things that maybe I'm not proud of. Um, again, nothing wrong with that. I don't want to criticize, you know, commercial filmmaking because it's it's an art form in and of itself and et cetera. But it just never was what drew me into it in the first place. So, uh, so anyway, so I moved up to Berkeley, got a job. <laughs> what were you doing? Um, I was executive recruiting. I ended up working for a recruiter yes. and we <laughs> recruited for venture back startups in this 99 to 2001 internet 1.0 kind of thing, <laughs> which was really fun. Cause at the end of the day, it was pitching, it was pitching ideas yeah. of, you know, pets.com and actually Netflix was an early client and LinkedIn was an early client. And one of the first, uh, I don't know if anyone ever remembers O Photo, but it ended up being purchased by Kodak and became Shutterfly, like all these things. Like it was an exciting time to be doing that. And I thought I was learning a lot about humanity because at the end of the day, you do need something to say when you're a writer. So more life experience is always a good thing. Um, and so that's what I was doing. I was in California, Northern California. I ended up getting married. My husband got a, a job in Vermont. And then we made it to Colorado, Tyler. Finally, 2013, I get to Colorado and I'm like, okay, it's time. (laughs) 2013? That is way later than I thought it would be for your story. (laughs) Yeah, well, I had kids. I I got my MFA in fiction because I was like, you know, maybe I don't want to do screenwriting and I'll do fiction because I am a writer. I am a writer. And I had a wonderful time um, getting my master's at Bennington College. They're a small college in Vermont. They have a wonderful low residency program that allows you to have a life, but also, you know, show up on campus twice a year for two weeks at a time. And there are some really good programs like that in screenwriting as well. But I chose to do fiction. And I'm so glad I did because I think I needed a little bit of a distance from that. You need a, a separation for sure. Uh, you brought up uh, learning more, working on a set, then going to film school. I always have to tell folks this who've done the same thing. 
I remember I went to CU Denver and I was going to go for video production, ended up changing it to marketing and film studies because the prod one class was a day and a half of this is the male end. This is the female end of the cord. That's how we get a connection. And I just thought, are you kidding? I'm paying how much for this? This is insane. <laughs> and then I ended up, you know, working as a PA for an indie sci-fi horror movie for two years and learned so much more. Uh, so I'm yeah. completely on board with you on that on that front. And um, yes, yeah, that that separation is is always great, and and it's it's wonderful. You you kept pursuing your career while doing things that personally fulfilled you. You know, you got married, you you started a family. So you had something to go home to instead of just, oh, okay, it's, you know, 18 hours today. I'm just going to pass out and hopefully get through the next day. It it sounds like it was a really fulfilling journey. And I'm just curious, you know, once you moved to Colorado, what your, what your plan was from that? I'm not sure how old your, your kiddos were at that point, but what your, uh, if you had one, what your game plan was. Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate that because it all ties into the film that we are going to be making first. Um, my, our, my first feature film. <laughs> um, so, so a couple things. One is, so by, the, so I finished my MFA, had my two children, I had two boys um, and, you know, was raising them. You know, my husband's a wonderful partner in that process. Um, but around when I was turning 40, 41, uh, I just looked around and said, how did I get here? <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> and it can happen when you hit 40, right? Like that's yeah. kind of a number where you're not a spring chicken anymore. And, you know, you have plenty of life ahead of you, but it feels like if you don't do something now, you're never going to do it. At least that's how I felt as a 40 one or so 40, 41 year old woman who was a wife and a mother who loved that, but who hadn't necessarily, I don't know if you heard, this is the first time I've talked about this kind of thing, right? Like yeah. growing up, it was never like, oh, I can't wait to be a mother. I can't wait to get married. I was not that person. I was going to have a career and I was going to be very successful yeah. in that career. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so I, anyway, I'll just say that I thought, if I don't go for what I want now, I'm never going to make it. That's what it felt. Um, so I committed myself again at that time to writing because I had been, so after my master's, I started doing adaptations. I thought that's going to be my niche, Tyler. I'm going to do adaptations of novels to film because that makes sense. I mean, that could yeah. be cool. Right. And I optioned a book and I turned it into a thing. And yet again, it's like, this is really hard to do. I don't own the intellectual property. I have to keep optioning the material, you know? So I thought, wait a second, let me write my own stuff. And I don't know if I mentioned this, but so I made my first film in Prague in 1992, 93. I didn't make my second short film till 2013, right before we moved to Denver. So. That That's is, what happened. I, I I love that though, because you weren't rushing through things just to put something out there. So what was the the inception for doing a second, you know, short before you moved to Colorado? Was there something that occurred? Yeah, that, no, yeah. it was. So it's it's probably more than the deep. Here's the here's what I'll say. <laughs> my father, my father said, never go into debt make, to make a movie. It's a terrible idea. 
So, you know, it's the cost of production used to be much higher when you were on film. And then, I don't know, if once you shot on film, it was really hard to shoot on video. Back then, digital video was less expensive, but didn't look good. So I think that was the other thing. I just, I was like, oh, I can write for very little money. It's my time. Um, So I guess, but I realized that, no, no, I really want to direct as well. And I need to direct more. So I, I went to Sundance for the first time as a viewer, um, and this was 2013 or 2012. 2012, I went for the first time and was so inspired by all the types of films, all the types of things. I got to go back in 2013 because by then I was teaching. I actually taught screenwriting at a film school in Burlington. Uh, Burlington College um, had a really cool film program. Sadly, it's no longer in existence, but I had a great group of students. We actually took a group of students to Sundance in 2013. And to make a long story short, I came back from that going, I'm making a film. There is nothing stopping me except myself. And so that's when I made my second film called Thaw. T-H-A-W. And I shot it over a weekend in Vermont and loved it. And then we moved to Denver and I was like, okay, this is going to be about writing and directing. Yeah. Wow. I, nothing else could push someone to want to be a part or essentially like jump into being a part of this industry other than Sundance. It's, it's so infectious. Anyone could walk away going, yeah, I could do, I, I could do that, you know? <laughs> totally. I, I love that. No, it's so cool. Yeah, it is. It's so cool. And you see such a range and you see such yeah. a passion and you see, I mean, yeah, there's some of the commerce aspect, but it's really not. It's really driven by people who have something to say and one, and a bold vision. And I don't know, it was just so inspiring. So I was like, yes, okay. And I, I did it. And then I made two more short films, you know, once I got to Denver and, and there was more of a film community here. So I've been very grateful to find fellow travelers that yeah. want to, you know, live here. Quality of life is really important. Community is really important. And yet still do what we want to do and do it at a very high level. Yeah, yeah it's I, I think I jumped into this industry. I mean, I wanted to work behind the camera. I wanted to be a filmmaker and a, and a writer primarily, I fell into the acting part. This I never even thought about that. What? So when I fell into it, it was probably a year before you got here. And I had no idea Denver had such a prominent film presence. But I'm curious to see what, what you've noticed in the last, you know, 10 plus years when it comes to our local filmmakers. I, I mean, it's definitely grown by far, but what has changed for you since, you know, moving here, jumping into it and and producing and making these shorts compared to, you know, like what's happening now and the, the potential now, what have you seen? Well, that's a great question. So I, I did, I think 2013, and you can remind me the, the Colorado film incentive really was getting some good funding. I think yeah. I've got here right around that time. It may have started in 2012, even um, I think under governor Hickenlooper, mm-hmm. you know, he was like, no, I'm, I want to make this happen. So uh, so yeah, so I felt like there was a lot of things happening I mean, projects were coming left and right, and there was money for local folks to do things as well. Uh, so it was very exciting. Um, and then it seemed to flounder after a few years and that was very, uh, disheartening, um, to see the, that commitment could come or go depending on, I guess, who's the governor, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, or w- the will, I don't know, but to make a long story short, um, 
I think what I'm seeing is determined creators who have other ways of sustaining themselves can make it here because if you're just going to work crew and you're just, you know, it's just almost impossible to make a real living um, beyond commercials, industrials, um, that type of thing, which is a good living, uh, but it is not narrative filmmaking, which we know is requires kind of a whole different infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Mexico, if you want to look at examples outside of LA, uh, you would look at New Mexico or Atlanta. Um, they're doing it, but they're also being supported by the state in the to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, which is how you attract industry. But of course, look at the return on investment. It's booming in both Absolutely. of those places. Um, so, so the reality is, I think as artists living here, film artists or filmmakers, uh, we kind of have to be self-driven. We have to be creative, um, which again, is not a bad thing. That actually means we do really interesting work. Um, we have to be creative with how we fund it. Um, and I do think there's not a lot of great stuff that happened uh, as a result of the pandemic. But one thing is, I think we realized you didn't have to only be in LA or New York, really. You could work at a high level and not be based there. Yeah. Oh, God. especially, I mean, what? <laughs> I was, it always feels so pretentious, but as an actor, um, it's just having that, you know, the idea of self tapes now being industry-wide everybody does it it doesn't matter where you are and like you mentioned as well just making films which is something i want to touch on here in in your film that you know hopefully goes into production this year i I have a feeling that post pandemic post strike there's just been this influx of very driven filmmakers whether it's somebody making their first feature or somebody making a short or somebody who really wants to take over the commercial world, which is something that Colorado has in spades. Uh, We we shoot constant commercials here, uh, surprisingly. But I do want to get into your film and the process of one, deciding you're going to shoot it here and casting here. Uh, But also, you know, we were talking before the call about accruing funding as well. So let, let's talk about Welcome to the Fishbowl. Let's go. <laughs> I love it. So yeah. So remember that story when I'm looking at my life, I was actually on the top of a mountain trying to ski for the first time after having kids and not being a very good skier in the first place. And then ending up somewhere I should not have been on the first run of the day <laughs> and going, how did I get here? And I was scared out of my mind and I was all those things. So, um, so the, so here's what I've learned. You can write for the market, you can write for a, a market, um, and that is one way to make work, commercial work. Um, or you can really write what's in your heart and in your soul and say, audience be damned. I mean, I, I believe there's one because this is what I want to see, and this is what I want to say, and this is what I want to make. And every project that I've ever done that's come from that place has been made. Right. I mean, I wrote other scripts. I wrote other things, you know, but they haven't gotten made because they weren't. Again, I can only speak from my experience, but I think my role is to be in touch with that voice inside that needs to express itself and say something. Hmm. And so 
Welcome to the Fishbowl is about a wife and a mother who is in her 40s, early 40s, and believes that if she does not go for what she wants, it will never happen. So I took my own life experience and I wrote about it in a screwball road comedy (laughs) that takes place in Colorado where I had moved and was ready to say. So I had made my second film and I decided, no, no, I'm going to write something that I can direct that is a feature, that it will be my first feature and will be something that I know I am not alone in experiencing. And honestly, oh, sorry, I don't mean. No. (laughs) I was just going to say, coming from uh, just that perspective, it's a film that I genuinely want to see and want to be seen made in Colorado. It's a love letter to Colorado. And let me also give a shout out. So remember, I also said that I love working with other people. And when I was in Vermont, um, I met a wonderful writer, Donald Ray, um, who is the co-writer of Welcome to the Fishbowl. Um, He and his wife were living there in Montpelier. He was running the Green Mountain Film Festival. He's also a writer and like we connected. And when I, you know, we came up with this idea, you know, it just needed a, I needed a co-writer because I didn't want to just tell the story from the female perspective, which is important and obviously drives a lot of my work. Um, But it was also really important to me to share it because it was ultimately, it is ultimately also a comedy of remarriage because when you are in a relationship and you have children, you need your partner to step up so that you can also go out and make it in the world. And the way work is structured often you don't get that flexibility. So Elizabeth Ford is the main character in our film. um, And she's married to Peter, who is a environmental lawyer. Lawyers are probably have some of the most unforgiving work environments. So I kind of wanted someone who's doing good work and loves what he does, contrasted with his wife, who's a novelist, who's never published her first novel. She's been diligently working on it for a decade as she's raising her kids and still doing it. But it's like, if I don't get this published, am I a writer? Do I even call myself a writer? Like, you know, it's it's sort of, I don't know. It's, it came very much through my own struggles with, am I a filmmaker if I'm not making films? If people aren't paying me to make movies, am I, you know, like who gets to call yourself what? And ultimately the film, I think we write from, I love Meryl Streep's statement. I think she did it uh, when she got her Golden Globe uh, Achievement Award or something like, you know, take your broken heart and make art. Mm. And that just really resonates. So, you know, Elizabeth's heart is breaking with her not being able to fulfill what she believed was her life's destiny. And to do so, she needs to find a way to do that both in terms of getting a publisher, getting attention, you know, da da da. But at the end of the day, she also just has to believe in herself. So it's also that kind of journey, which I think that all artists and people can relate to. Um, so anyway, it's a fun script that's been gestating and worked on for 10 years now. It's not too often you see the journey of the character reflect the actual journey of getting the film made, right? <laughs> Totally. <laughs> Thankfully, you were not divorced. Uh, so we. <laughs> no, it worked out, and it worked out in real life, and it works out. <laughs> <laughs> so you you had this long gestating script. Last year, you were you know doing castings. You have a few cast members solidified already, and uh, now it's just you know getting everything rolling. So 
for those who are listening who may not be familiar with, you know, sure. independent film where you, you don't have a, not like anyone does now, but you don't have a blank check to run with. I do want to ask you about just configuring yeah. the the budget and figuring out the financing for it and how you acquired that or in the process or acquiring that, at least the last parts yes. of it right now. Absolutely. Well, so back when I made my fourth short film, Lillian Rose, which we shot in Colorado on the Western Slope, it's a was a wonderful experience. I think that's what really gave me the confidence that I could do a feature. I was ready to direct a feature after, you know, several short films. And that one in particular was quite an extensive shoot. It was, the actors were all 13 year old girls. Um, it was a story about, you know, coming of age at that time. It was an amazing process. And we shot in the Western Slope and got to do festivals. I think that helped a lot, just build my confidence that I can show up for a feature in a way that, is good <laughs> and not like I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and during that time, I met my producing partner because at the end of the day, being able to do a lot of the things, I mean, as indie filmmakers, we have to wear a lot of hats, but you really can't do it all, or at least you can't do it all well. And so I just really need to to give credit to and, and thanks to um, finding my producing partner, Yana Donchiba, who is the co-founder of By and Large Media Labs. She's an amazing producer. She comes from Europe. So interestingly, she was born and raised in Bulgaria. So comes from Eastern Europe, but ended up immigrating to France around the same time um, that I studied over in Prague. So she, her career actually started in, um, in France and where she became a producer there for almost 20 years. Fell in love with an American. You should have her on. She can tell her own story. But Absolutely. Like, <laughs> she, you know, she ended up in the U.S. And so partnering with someone who has that kind of experience and has worked a lot with emerging directors and first time feature directors, because we're a little bit of a different breed, right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know some actors really like working with early directors and maybe some don't, but like, I don't know. I think, I think there's a 50, 50 to that. Cause I do love working with, I love working with established directors. They're great. There's also a, uh, just a separation of what the shorthand could be. <laughs> as opposed to working with emerging directors where you, you know, you're kind of building it together. Uh, I, I mean, I worked on a, a set a couple of years ago where I knew of the director, but they were established and it was the most, and you're not there to chit chat or anything at all, but it was the most curt like note direction you could ever imagine. Like, Hey, it's great. But I also do love the kind of grassroots directing style that especially Coloradans. Have. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm more interested in collaborating. And um, yeah, I think actually Tracy Ellis Ross just did a Fresh Air interview um, where she talks about working with a first-time director, Cord Jefferson, on American Fiction, which yes. is a great film. Yes. Um, and she said she loves working with first-time directors or, you know, I mean, he'd done other things, um, but not film. And he was like, there's just this openness to play. And qual I don't know, she said it, it's a freshness, like, I think she called it like the smell of fresh cut grass. Like, I don't know. She's <laughs> cool. It's a worth listening, listening to. But um, when I heard that, I was like, yeah, there's, don't be afraid to be the first time you're making a feature film. Go for it. There's advantages to it. You, you don't think there's a way it has to be done. Um, and by the way, you know, Welcome to the Fishbowl is very much an actor's piece. It is a character driven indie film that is, um, you know, definitely got commercial potential because it's a comedy and this kind of thing. But it's also, um, I'm just so excited to work with the actors. I mean, can I, I I'll tell you, I mean, we, yeah. 
here's the big difference between writing spec scripts and breaking into the industry in the 90s and now. In the 90s, you could sell a script and someone else would make it for a good amount of money. Now you have to put it all together yourself, basically deliver a finished, you know, here are the director, here's the actors, here's the budget, you know, and then someone, and we're still waiting for that last piece of someone. We've raised quite a bit of money. Private individuals are showing up and saying, I want to see this film made. I want to be part of it. I want to come to set, like not creative control, but like to be part of a community that's doing something creative and interesting. That is what we offer as an indie film that you would not get anywhere near if it's a big budget, you know, industry film. So, so yeah, so all that's to say is we have incredible actors who love the script. The script has gotten us everywhere we've gotten. And I'm so grateful that it, I'm grateful it took 10 years. I don't know. (laughs) It took 10 years to get into that place. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an exciting process. It's, you know, I, I keep, agree the right people will come along at the right time and and we'll get the the funding we need to green light the film which means we can then secure everything and um and get into production and then show off colorado because you know a lot of people set things here but then don't shoot here so it would be really nice to have a colorado set film that's actually shot in colorado and shows it off um and there's some really fun sequences in downtown denver which hasn't really appeared on the cinematic map and I think would be a really nice thing to show and it maybe attract people to come and be in downtown, which I, I hear is something we want to encourage. Yeah. <laughs> it, at least in the way that, you know, hopefully they'll enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's bring business back to downtown and people and have a vibrancy yeah. that, you know, yeah. It's really, um, I I always have to comment on it because it's bugged me since I was a kid being a movie buff. The most recent, uh, I don't want to say an insult, but the most recent kind of like, oh, really? Why? Uh, Example of that is, I think it was a Liam Neeson movie where it was set in Colorado and they drive to Denver on this very isolated highway going like just as a local here like well, okay well i know that was shot in canada why why would you even say colorado it was uh it was the goofiest thing um but it, it's funny i i hope one day to read the whole script because i from what i've read spoiler alert everybody i auditioned for a part in the movie um it it just flowed really nicely and it was very fun to read and get all those those different points but I I wrote a script. It was my third script ever, maybe. I wrote a script that had a road trip throughout Colorado as well. And that's something maybe, you know, you're the you're the person to, to push that needle forward. Maybe in 10 years or so I can get somebody to to make it. But it is such a beautiful state. There's so many different places you could film. It's not just when I was a kid, people thought Colorado was like Texas, you know? It was it was the weirdest thing. Um but I, I don't know. I'm really excited to see what happens with it. But to to push that all to the side for a second, I just need to ask you, what do you do outside of all this that that satiates your life? What do you do outside of work and film that also makes you happy? Oh, I love that question. I um, well, addition to going to the movie theaters at St. <laughs> Films, which 
fills me up. I love it. And I love going back to the theater. So I encourage everyone to go back and see movies in the theater um, because it's a very different experience. Um, I do a lot of reading. I love reading novels. Um, I love reading nonfiction, just really good writing. Um, I play tennis, something I also didn't do for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sensing a theme. I picked it back up after putting it down, you know, because I was competitive in high school and then hated it. (laughs) So now I'm just enjoying playing tennis and being physically active out there and maybe getting some aggression out from time to time. And what else? I like to take walks. I like to spend time. Yeah, my children are amazing. Now they're 18 and 16. So I'm getting to the point where they're they're not going to be in the house much longer. And, you know, that feels wonderful, but also bittersweet. Um, So that's interesting. And uh, traveling, I do love to travel and, uh, and spend time with friends. Um, And I, yeah, all the the, the little things in life, Um, seeing good theater, um, seeing good art shows. We we're so lucky to have all of this here in, we have a lot. We it's have a, a lot. And, uh, oh, have you seen Shauna's uh, script prof? I haven't seen that yet. You know, I was listening to her, the one you did with her, uh, which was great. Um, I have it, but I would, I think we should go to the next one. Let's find out and go. I think so too. I keep seeing posts about it, you know, the week after. Oh, damn it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even totally. know. Um, totally. I just have, you know, last few things for this episode. And I think one of the most pertinent being if you've had a piece of advice you've held on to, you know, throughout your career, throughout your journey, that's gotten you through those those very low lows or even, you know, inspiring you past the high highs. Has there been any piece of advice you've personally kind of grasped onto? It's funny. I look at, I'm looking at my journal. I fill up the first two pages of my journal, like the inside cover and the back cover with quotes when I come across them. Mm-hmm. Um and here, this is one that just came across my desk recently, and it was very helpful because I'm about to write a first draft of something new. Um, and that's always very interesting, right? Like you yeah. get something like Fishbowl, while we still may fine tune here and there, um, it's done, you know. And so that's a very different writing process than when you start over and yeah. it's like a first draft. Um, so this is from Jordan Peel. He wrote, When I'm writing the first draft, I'm constantly reminding myself that I'm simply shoveling sand into a box so that later I can build castles. I love that. (laughs) That is a great quote. (laughs) Give yourself permission to shovel the sand and eventually you can. and, And that's what I learned from that very first script I wrote in 30 days that, you know, it might actually be something I could create, but you'd have to go back and really work hard at it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that story doesn't mean anything to me because it was just my first, you know, idea. But um, since then, write that shitty first draft. Eventually you can, you know, fine tune and, and make it make it a beautiful castle. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I love that. I forgot he uh, he had said that. Was that from, was it a book? about him or was it in an interview or something well it was going around instagram recently and it just caught my eye and i think um yeah i don't know where he said it but it's attributed to him and i just love that because again you're always a beginner when you start your first draft again just always it never it never gets easier at all 
and and I think otherwise everything has its right time. I would say that's the other thing that keeps me going is like everything has its right time. And, and you, you know, I wanted to make my first feature film before 30. Well, but why, you know, what, why, why hold yourself to a date on a calendar? It's, it's something bigger than that. And Yeah. yeah. So see, I, I had a goal. I wanted to make a feature by the time I was 30 and that was when I was 18. Didn't happen, but I did write, you know, I accomplished another goal of writing 10 scripts, 10 feature scripts before I was 30. Are they all winners? No, but you know, taking a couple of years off and, and go back into it. It's just, it's, it's the sand, right? It's I love need. it. I love that. And another one that makes me think of that is the war of art. Mm-hmm. Do you, have you heard of that book? Um, is it Stephen Pressfield? We should look up the name. Maybe you can find it. But it's it's a great book about that writing journey of like, yeah, you he finally writes a novel and this old crusty teacher is like, okay, now write your next one. Like, so what? Like, you got to keep writing. <laughs> and I love that. It's like, yeah. and that's, by the way, very impressive. 10 scripts by 30. That's, that's awesome. That's it really cool. Very much single. Uh, so not all. It wasn't a whole lot. It was it was movies and writing till three in the morning. It was perfect. Uh, That's amazing. <laughs> I am really curious with every because your life has just been this like insane artistic odyssey. I do want to see if you have a party story that you could share with our listeners. So nothing that tends to happen at a party, but say an experience you had that stands out so mentally, you would definitely tell it to friends at a party. Oh, I, that's a good question. Let me think about this. I know it's a tough um, one. It is, it is. Like, I mean, I've a lot of stories over the years. Um, <laughs> that's a good party story that I can tell. <laughs> I mean, any um, uh, any funny, <laughs> any funny um, casting experience, you don't, you don't have to say any names, but as far as like, any funny experiences in the casting environment, whether it's your short films or the film coming up where, I don't know, some people like to give that option as well, especially if they're directors like, oh, I'm, I get to sit in on castings in person. How does this work? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, this is, I'm, I'll probably think of this tomorrow, the like perfect thing to say to you, but um, I just... I'll just say one of the most exciting aspects of, of working with actors and making a film, like, uh, let me go back to Lillian Rose. So Lillian Rose was the film that I, the fourth film that I made. Um, I can give you the the address so you can show it. And it's, again, I, I sat down and wrote that also 10 years before I made it. I was, okay. I sat down with a friend and we said, we are both mothers, we are both writers, and boy, does it feel like we're not doing a lot of writing. So let's get together for coffee once a week and just talk about things that we uh, are interested in. And then maybe we'll come up with a short script and maybe I'll, I'll write that short script and not make it, I don't know, but like, let's just do it for the sake of doing it, like create for the sake of creating. And so my friend Jessica Tickton and I, we were living in Vermont and we sat down and we just, as we talked and talked over the months, we came upon a story that we both related to, which was being dumped by our first best friend, or in my case, dumping my first best friend. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great first Okay. <laughs> 
that's right. So I had this memory of at 13, basically leaving my best friend who I'd sat with at lunch every day for, you know, years and saying, nope, I'm going to go sit with the cool girls today at lunch and just sort of leaving her in the dust. And I've never forgotten it. And I immediately apologized, but it felt like our relationship was never the same after that. And that had stayed with me because here I was like 33, you know, and was thinking about this. And she told about her first friend, best friend who went off to college and their relationship never stayed the same. And so anyway, to make a long story short, we basically decided that we wanted to write this short film about first heartbreak because your first heartbreak ain't usually with, you know, a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. It's actually with a close friend. And we made this beautiful film that again, so wrote the script, thought I'll never make this script. This script has a a swimming hole where if someone jumps off a cliff and you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Who's going to make this film about 13 year old girls. Like, isn't that interesting that that yeah. was in my head too, that like, Oh, no one would be willing. And it would be a very expensive film to make for the, well, guess what? We made that film in 2017. And I'm so glad that I did because it was so cathartic making it people related to it, males, females, like, I just was like, this is incredible. People, and then we showed it on the festival circuit. People came up to us in all ages saying, oh, thank you for letting me remember this time. I had this one woman in her 60s, tears come to me and say, you just made me remember my closest friend. It's been years. And I just want to thank you. And it's like, God, this is why you make films. <laughs> um, so I, I want to end on that. I mean, and yeah. you know, it's a short film. It's 13 minutes. It had no other, it had no commercial reason to be made. It was a hard film to make. And by the way, I wrote it in Vermont where there were way more lakes and swimming holes than there are in Colorado. <laughs> so crazy thing, we ended up shooting at Devil's Punch Bowl in Aspen, which is the most insane place to jump off a cliff. But it's one of the few places that had the right set. And mm-hmm. we did it, Tyler, we did it. We shot there. We had someone jump off who was willing to do it. My actress didn't, obviously, but like, who does that? We had water rescue people there. Like oh it was, God. it was insane and beautiful. And I will never forget that. And it tells me you got to do what's in your heart mm-hmm. and do it. And that's all the reason you need. See, as long as you keep that right there, fishbowl is going to be over before you know it. And then you're going to be moving on to the next project and the next one. Just got to keep hanging on to that. And that's honestly, I do want to watch that short film because I do love that idea of first heartbreak because it does like you're right. Nothing hurts nearly as much as that. You know, it wasn't romantic. This is this is like a relative this is a sibling. And now they're gone. <laughs> this is horrible. Um, That yeah, that sorry, that took me back to uh, when I, I had lost like a high school best friend right out of high school. Now I say lost, they just cut me out. Yeah. <laughs> no explanation. And then I saw the film Warrior and I just like man tears the entire movie. I'm like, oh, oh God. Uh, it was just the worst <laughs> experience. Um, but the the last thing I wanted to, to see about for this interview was um, obviously by and large media, of course, and welcome to the fishbowl. But I did want to see if there's anything else I can give a shout out to or promote could also be an organization, a charity, anything that you want to give a voice to. Amazing. Um, 
Well, I think what we talked about too early on is like, you know, movies that I've really loved and that I've seen lately that I think deserve to be seen on the big screen if possible. Um, Anatomy of a Fall, which is up for best picture um, this year is playing, I believe at the Esquire and maybe some other places. And it's amazing. It's such a beautifully done film um, that was written during the pandemic, a husband and wife. And then it's about a relationship and she's a writer. So there's some interesting things, but it's more of a courtroom drama mystery because um, he winds up dead and who did it? (laughs) (laughs) So um, anyway, that's a really, really good film. Um, I also think Poor Things deserves a shout out. It's insane and amazing. And Emma Stone definitely deserves all the props this year. Um, I like to call it a Barbie on steroids and maybe LSD too, because it's wild. I wasn't ready for that entire movie. (laughs) I don't think anyone can be. (laughs) (laughs) I I put the screener in. I'm like, I should probably close my blinds. I don't know if I should be watching (laughs) this. (laughs) but I don't did you like it I thought exactly I thought it was Barbie in a mixed vat of like Molly acid and LSD visually like I I wasn't ready for how beautiful those were and the story itself as well like it just there's not a lot of people talking about it and I can understand why commercially a lot of people may not flock to it but hopefully after award season it starts to build more and more of a cult following it's insane. I mean, it's really good. It's like Terry Gilliam type esque mm-hmm. film, you know, the retro futurism, but it's brilliant. It's just absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. And then I think, I mean, there's so many worthwhile organizations out there. Um, I'm going to have a hard time picking one to, <laughs> to support right now. Um, but I would just say, you know, it's Black History Month. And I think making sure we're seeing diverse perspectives not just this month, all year round is a really good one. Um, So yeah, if people haven't seen American Fiction, I think that's a fantastic film. Um, I also would highly recommend Ava DuVernay's Origin, uh, which is playing now in theaters and has no commercial funding sources. Um, She actually pretty much funded the whole thing through foundations. Um, And if you don't know about it, just real quick, it's based on Isabel Wilkerson's uh, cast the origins of our discontent which is a fantastic book um, that she made into a fictional film by telling the story of the writer's journey to make to write the book it's so good I think it's her best film I think Ava DuVernay's really? best film and it's fantastic so if I can recommend Anatomy of a Fall, Poor Things, American Fiction and Origin those are the movies I would go see right now Okay. I can't, I haven't seen origin yet. So that is one I cannot wait to check out. Oh my God. Okay. Notes are done. (laughs) I'm just bleeding all over my notepad. The, you know, our closing for this, and this has been just an absolute joy to, to chat with you. I've been wanting to ask you to do this for the better part of eight or nine months, but it was weird in my, uh, in my, weird anxious brain I'm like I, I don't want to ask her to be on the podcast after I just did a callback for the movie because it would come off kind of you know like hey hey do you want to you want to talk about but no so this has just been a joy having you on the podcast learning more about you learning more about the film process itself and I can't wait to see welcome to fishbowl hopefully you know next year and a half or so that'll be in the festival circuit 
the uh exactly. the last thing i have is our awkward goodbye which i think you probably could <laughs> <Shauna do. laughs> it's been a pleasure Tyler thank you so much for asking me Um, I think it's really amazing that you do this Um, I'm sure on your own fuel and for your own you know edification but for those of it's a great service for all of us out there that are you know toiling away doing following our dreams but making trying to make them real Um, and I would just say um, yeah keep doing it so thank you for having me appreciate it now you're after you said all those kind words we're going to make you the most awkward goodbye imaginable, which is, in all honesty, it's a three to one silent countdown. And I point to you, you give us your best verbal and visual awkward goodbye, and I'll stop the recording from there. Does that sound good? Sure. Okay, sure. Here we go. In. Goodbye. <laughs>